Gospel of John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. And this morning we are returning to our series that has us walking through the Gospel of John. I believe we have, uh, we are 32 weeks in and have about 12 more to go. And we are calling this series That You May Know because that's why John wrote this Gospel, that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by knowing that, we would have life in his name. And when last we looked, Jesus was ending his public ministry in which he was ministering to the public and calling on them to follow him. And he would now be entering into the last week before he laid down his life. And let me just kind of begin today this way. If you knew that you only had one day left to live, how would you live? How would you live that day? Would would you do dangerous things that could kill you knowing that going one day early would not be that big of a deal? Would, would you gather all the important people in your life and spend the day with them? Would you hold on and basically fight against that declaration saying, I'm not willing to give in to that and I'll fight until the very end? Would you turn outward and seek to make a lasting impression on the life of others in different ways? Would you resolve grievances. How would you spend that day if you knew you had one to live? And John 13 brings us to the last full day in the life of Jesus. Now John 13 through 17 takes us into the intimate thoughts of Jesus before his crucifixion. These five chapters have been called the holy of holies in all of scripture because in it we see most clearly the heart of Jesus for the glory of God and for us. But in fact, John devotes six chapters to the final night of Jesus' life here on this earth. And I want to remind you of something, something I've said a couple times already in our series, but in the four Gospels, there are 89 chapters altogether that are written. And of those 89 chapters, four of those chapters cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life on this earth. While Think about 29 of those 85 chapters cover the last week of his life. So almost 29% of the Gospels covers the last week of his life. And 13 chapters deal with the final 24 hours of his life on earth. 579 separate verses in all four Gospels zero in on this moment, the final 24 hours in the life of Christ before he gives his life, lays down his life for the world. And to this point in the gospel of John, we have seen Jesus doing work that no one else can do. Turning water into wine, healing from a distance, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, walking on water. Now, Jesus does what almost anyone can do, but what few want to do, he washes feet. He washes feet, and just hearing that causes some of you to begin to squirm. And not not because of just the disgusting nature of the job, but I'm talking to some of you who just have a thing about feet. Basically, I'm talking to my daughter, Madison Strickland. So I'm talking to her directly. She just thinks feet are disgusting. Now, a couple of years ago, we pulled probably the greatest prank on her ever. Pastor Jordan had spoke at a youth event at Garden View Baptist that our, our very own... Uh, pastor Bill Dillion, youth pastor over there. And the second night, there was another speaker, and he's not as crazy as we are, so he's, he's kind of more serious, but somehow he was convinced to call Madison 
and to bring her and say, hey, we're going to do something tonight, and we would like some leading youth and, and different youth groups to come and wash feet. And Madison came to me and she said, Dad, can I leave? Please, Dad, let, let, me, let me leave. And, of course, we carried it on as long as we could. Uh, she was about to make a run for it, and finally we had to break it to her and told her we were just messing a- around. You know, even in talking about the message this morning, I told her, I said, in, this, in that culture, kids would wash the feet of their parents. And I said, I might just allow you to come up and demonstrate it uh, for me in, in front of the whole congregation. And she said, Dad, if you ever ask me to wash your feet, I'm moving my membership. <laughs> go, go figure. I mean, feet disgust her. In fact, this is a picture that we often text to her phone just to get a reaction. And we always get a reaction. I mean, that's the cutest Indian foot I've ever seen in my life with the biggest big toe I've ever seen in my life. We call it Giganto, and one day he's going to grow into it. But we send her that picture, and every single time we get a response. And I'll just, I have it on my phone, I'll just put it in her face. She's like, Dad, that's disgusting. And some of you are like that, and you get that. But anyways, there will be no literal foot washing today. I'm going to keep my shoes on, and I ask you to do the same, but there's going to be a whole lot of talk about it, and just a little background here. So foot washing was assigned to the lowliest person in the household. If you had a Jewish servant and you had a Gentile servant, the Gentile was lower than the Jew, so the Gentile servant washed feet. As I just said, children would wash the feet of their parents. Wives would wash the feet of their husbands, yet it was unheard heard of it was unheard of for one in authority to wash the feet of those under them it was unheard of but this is exactly what jesus did and this is a snapshot of what he came to the earth to do so let's dive in and let's in our time together today behold the humble service of our savior I'm going to ask if you're able that you stand with me as we honor god's word we're going to read verses 1 through 20 together And John begins this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we come today to this, your word. And God, we are asking that you would speak, Lord, by your Holy Spirit into our lives today to show us the beauty and the humility of the service of Christ and the service that we are called to, to, to exhibit in this, your church, and throughout the world. God, just speak, O oh God, to your people. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. So just follow with me here. Don't miss this. Jesus created everything and was about to die for the sins of the world, to conquer death. He was about to return to heaven to rule the right hand forever. Yet with all power and with all authority, he chose to wash feet. The one with all authority knelt before common men who walked dirt roads and he scrubbed their feet. Now, if a fisherman was to wash another fisherman's feet, that would be a small condescension. That would be a small step down to take. It's a small act of humility. But for the creator of the universe to wash the feet of proud men who are sinful in their pride is a step down that we can never imagine. Now, you might think or you may maybe be able to think, well, surely Jesus could wash the feet of someone who was sacred or someone who was somewhat holy. But no, here Jesus is washing the feet of proud and self-interested men, of self-promoting men, of men who were totally clueless. Just imagine it, the Lord of all glory, the King of all kings, the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth, down on his knees washing feet. It's unimaginable. And then we think about fictional stories that are oftentimes introduced in our world. There are so many fictional stories about kings and swords and medieval battles. And much of these fictional stories highlight, highlight the fundamental flaw of humanity. And the fundamental, one of the fundamental flaws of humanity is the strong crush the weak. The strong ones crush the weak. The fastest blade wins. The frail end up serving the fearsome. And of course, we don't live with kings and swords, but our world is still a world where those who have strength often suppress and use power over and rule over. Many in positions of power today abuse that power. But what we see here, the strongest person in all of history set a different example for all of us. Jesus walked the earth with the power of God himself, but he didn't crush, he didn't kill, he didn't overwhelm. He had the power that the world had never seen, and yet he used it to serve, and let me say this, he is still serving. More on that in just a bit. But basic hospitality in that day would have caused, would have called, called for 
the, the washing of any guest who entered into a home for their feet to be washed. Now, this was a borrowed home. They were celebrating the Passover. There was not a servant there, so someone should have taken it upon themselves. But Luke twenty two twenty four tells us that a dispute had arisen among the disciples, and they were fighting over who would be the what? Who would be the greatest? Jesus had not even ascended back to the Father, and they were fighting over who was going to take his place. Who was going to be the greatest among them? And here's the deal. Although they knew that someone should wash the feet of those who entered in this place, none of them was willing to give up their leverage in order to do so. So they all reclined at table with Jesus, celebrating Passover with dirty feet, because none of them were willing to take that step down. Just follow with me here. Jesus washed all 12 pair of dirty feet, and what was their response? Thomas still doubted. Peter still denied. Judas still betrayed. And yet Jesus, knowing all of that, washed their feet anyway. He washed their feet anyway. Oh, the level by which he stepped down to serve. There's a story of a certain man who, after hearing a pastor preach on this text, sought clarification. He said to the pastor, he said, if I get it right, if I got it right, all of life is about basin theology. Basin theology. And what he said is this, either I can be like Jesus and use a basin to serve others, or I can be like Pilate and use a basin to wash my hands of Jesus. In our life, we use one of two basins. Which basin do we use? Which one do we use most often in our lives? Do we use the basin of Pilate, the basin of self-preservation, that we will preserve ourselves at all costs, or do we use the basin of Jesus and self-sacrifice, that we understand there is no sacrifice? In fact, let me say this. Jesus has never, in this book, asked us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. He will never, has never asked us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. So I pray that this day we would marvel and rejoice at the nature and the love, the service of our Savior. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in the deep end of the pool today, and we're going to move our way to the shallow end. So normally we kind of start in the shallow and we go deeper. Today we're just going to jump in the deep end, and we're going to move to the shallow end and to the application. So let's start deep together, and then we will begin to move to the shallow end. So I'm going to show you today three pictures from what we just read. The first picture is this, a picture of the incarnation. A picture of the incarnation. And by incarnation, I mean Jesus coming to earth in the flesh, born of a virgin to live the life that we know he was called to live, to die for our sins. And what we see at the very beginning of this chapter is that no victory of Satan, even when he fills the heart of one of Jesus' own disciples, will ever overtake the purpose of God. In verse 2, we just read Satan was conquering the life of Jesus, or excuse me, Judas, yet the work of Christ did not stop. And what we see here in this beautiful yet uncomfortable scene is a, it's a picture of Jesus, his whole ministry in coming to earth. Now, we don't have these on the screen, but I'm going to give you six quick pictures of the incarnation, the whole picture of Christ's coming that we see from this passage that we just read. First, we see the coming of Jesus. We see his coming. In verse 4, we read that he rose from supper. 
Now, if you're able to, please turn to Hebrews 10 in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews 10, we are given a picture, a conversation, what's called a pre-incarnate conversation between God the Father and God the Son, right before God the Son stepped down out of heaven, coming to earth. This is the conversation that we know, according to the Word of God, that Jesus said to the Father. And in verses 5 through 7, it says this. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, so right before he stepped down into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offering and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come, or have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. So follow with me here. Jesus had previously risen from his throne in order to step down into our world. Jesus rose up and he came down in order to do God's will. Then secondly, we see the glory of Jesus. So again, in verse 4, not only did Jesus rise up, he laid aside his outer garments. He laid aside his outer garments. And when Jesus came into the world, he laid aside his outer glory. He laid aside the full exercise of his deity while never ceasing to be God. While never ceasing to be God, he became subject to our world. We see the glory of Jesus in laying aside that outer garment. But then third, we see the humanity of Jesus. At the very end of verse 4, it says that Jesus took a towel and tied it around his waist. And this towel tied around his waist represented the humanity wrapped around the Son of God. The humanity that wrapped around him. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, you see on the screen, says this, Christ Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He emptied himself, not by ceasing to be God. He emptied himself by giving up all the priorities, all the prerogatives that was his in heaven. And he emptied himself of that to come down to our world. And it says he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And then it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Which leads us to the fourth picture, which is we see the death of Jesus. In verse 5, we see that Jesus poured water into a basin. In just a few short hours, Jesus would literally have his blood spilt. He would pour out his blood and Jesus would also have the wrath of God. All of it poured upon him. Jesus was literally, as the song says, he was broken and spilled out for us. He was broken and spilled out for us. Then number five, we see the redemption of Jesus. In verse 10, Jesus told the disciples that 11 of them, 11 of the 12, were clean. So because of their faith in Jesus, they had been forgiven. They had peace with God. They were clean before a holy God. And then number six, we see the ascension of Jesus, which is crazy because in verse 12 it says this, that in putting back on his outer garment, he resumed his place, which is, a, which is a picture of Jesus ascending back into heaven, sitting on the right hand of the Father. In fact, we're going to see in a few weeks, in John 17, Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to receive the glory that was mine from the beginning. 
It's always been mine. So what a beautiful picture of Jesus. What he did for us in coming to this earth, doing the will of God, displaying the glory of God, even in death. The picture of the incarnation and every bit of it was done, hear this, in love. It was done because of love. As Jesus prepared to depart from this world to the Father, his final acts were driven because of love. We read this in verse 1. Jesus loved his own who were in the world. He loved his own. Now what we know is that Jesus definitely he loved the whole world. But the love of Jesus for his own distinguishes between common grace and special grace. So common grace, by which grace that God gives to all people, and special grace, grace that God gives to his people. Now common grace is God's love for all humanity. In Matthew 5, 45, it says that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He causes the rain to come on the just and the unjust. The psalmist says that God's mercy is over all that he has made. That's common, common grace. The fullest expression of God's common grace to all people is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. But here, God's love now is a picture of special grace. He loves, according to verse 1, his own. His own. It's a special clause here. He loved him. And at the very end, it says how he loved them. He loved them to the end. And this is not a statement of the duration of Christ's love, even though we know without a doubt Christ's love for us is unending, it's unchanging, it is unconditional. But this statement, he loved them to the end, is about the degree of his love for his own. Meaning that Christ, the love he has for his own, is full, is complete, and it is perfect. It's perfect. And this is what motivated the final words and the final acts of Jesus. Yes, ultimately, everything that Jesus did was for the glory of the Father. But Jesus also did hear what he did out of his perfect, sacrificial, and eternal love for his own. Eternal love for those who would be saved. And it's a picture of, of special grace versus common grace. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus coming and why he came, which leads us to the second picture, which is a beautiful picture of salvation. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. So here's what we have. Here's kind of, let me give a little detail in the story as I think it might have gone. I don't think that Jesus started with Peter. I think Jesus started with maybe another disciple, and Peter was probably looking going, I can't believe he's doing this. Why in the world is he doing this? And finally Jesus comes to Peter and Peter says, you will never wash my feet. And the word never here, get this, the word never means not for all of eternity. Not for all of eternity, Jesus, will you wash my feet. Now if you know anything about Peter, and I'm not talking about our Peter, but this Peter, but Peter had a foot-shaped hole in his mouth and he was always sticking his foot in it. Always. So we're, we're told in verse 8, and you see on the screen, that Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So now Simon Peter goes over the top and says, Well, Lord, not my feet only, but wash my hands and my head. Just give me a bath, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And the picture of salvation that we see here is this. In salvation, there must be a humbling because of our sin. 
we have to be humbled because of our sin. And let me just pause for a second and say, I want to be very careful how I say this. The gospel of this, of this book is not just this. It's not add Jesus to your life and go on living how you live. That is not the gospel of this book. The gospel of this book is you turn from your sin. And in turning from your sin, you turn to Jesus, who is greater than your sin. In fact, when sin abounds, grace, his grace abounds all the more. So it's not a gospel just adding Jesus. It's a gospel of turning from our sin. Stop trusting in ourselves. And here's the thing. This incident where Peter refuses to be washed by Jesus, you have a remarkable incident, a remarkable picture of sinful pride, of humanity refusing the cleansing of Jesus. The washing of Jesus. And at first glance, it appears as if Peter is doing this because he understands his own inadequacy. He understands his own unworthiness. And we go, well, I get that. But when you look a bit closer, you see that everything that Peter's doing is really done because of pride. Now, how do I know that? Well, for two reasons. Number one, Peter looks at Jesus and says, no, Lord. Those two words can never go together. If he is Lord, guess what word you can never say to him? No. To say no to a Lord is to say, you're not the Lord I am. It is a picture of pride in Peter's heart in this moment. But also, when we look at this, we see that Peter is offended by the actions of Jesus because Peter knew this. Peter was thinking in his mind, if I had the authority that he had, I would never be doing that. If I had authority that he has, I would never be doing what he's doing. What Peter is saying is this. This is beneath you. This is beneath you. Why are you doing this? And what a revelation this is of the sinful pride of our own hearts, which often cloak itself as humility. All the while, we are refusing to care about what God cares about, and we are refusing to do what God has called us to do. All the while, acting like we are being humble, and that's the reason we're not doing it. But the reason we're not doing it is because we're disobedient. And the reason we're disobedient is because we have pride in our hearts. Listen, in this moment, Peter doesn't want to acknowledge his need of of being washed. And one of the remarkable things about the gospel is that it always brings us to our lowest point. We must stand in utter humiliation In order for God to minister to us, meaning we have to be brought low so that we will receive from God what he is willing willing to give us from his own hand. And until we understand our need for it, we will never by faith reach out for it. We'll never by faith call on the name of the Lord for salvation. So we have to have a humility, a humbling because of our sin, but also there has to be a cleansing from our sin. Let me give you kind of How this worked in this day. So in those days, before you went to a dinner, what you would do is you would go home after a long day's work and you would take a bath. So you would clean yourself. A total bath of the entire body. Then you would put your sandals on your feet and you would walk to wherever you were going for dinner. Especially in light of where we're talking about the Passover dinner, celebrating that. But by the time you got to the house by the time you crossed the town with all the dusty roads that were not paved with your open toe sandals your feet were gnarly they were dirty and the picture is you have a pot of water 
And oftentimes a servant willing to wash your feet. But what you wouldn't do is get to that place and go, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't need that. I need a bath. No, you don't need a bath in that moment. You need your feet washed. And follow with me here. Don't miss this, brothers and sisters. When we are saved, all of our sin, past, present, and future, is forgiven because of our faith in all that Christ has done for us. So according to Romans 8, we can say with the Apostle Paul, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. So we can say that and declare that, yet there is an ongoing need for forgiveness in our lives. So this is the practical illustration of Christian salvation here. So when Jesus washes you in regeneration, you are clean. But as you travel this sin-tainted, self-centered, Satan-infiltrated world, your feet will get dirty. Your feet, my feet, they get dirty. And we don't lose our salvation, but we need to have our feet washed in order to restore not our salvation, but our fellowship with God. Let me put it like this. I believe, based on the authority of God's word, that as a Christian, if I am a child of God, I cannot lose my salvation. But if I choose to stay in sin, I can lose my fellowship with my Heavenly Father. Or to put it this way, there is nothing that can ever happen that will make me not a son of Billy and Ann Strickland. I will always be their son no matter what I do. I could even choose to say, well, I'm, I'm getting emancipated. I'm getting it all taken away. I will still be their son. But what I can do is I can choose to put myself in a place where I don't receive the love that they are so willing to give. Take myself out of fellowship. And that's what many people do when it comes to the Lord. You need your feet washed. And how are your feet washed? According to 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Oh, that we would understand that. And then... Just follow with me here. In verses 10 and 11, i got to move quickly. Verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. And so who is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about Judas. But think about all that Judas had seen and heard. Judas was there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Judas was there when Jesus told people, your sins are forgiven. Judas was there and saw people rise from the dead. Judas saw people healed of their diseases. He saw the storms quieted. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus multiply the bread and the fish. But he was a phony. He was a hypocrite. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And here's the problem. Judas was never saved. Judas was never saved. And what we learn here, and please hear this today, is that a person like Judas, you can be so close to salvation. You can say all the right things. You can hear all the right things. You can carry a Bible. You can sing all the right songs. You can say praise the Lord, hallelujah, after every sentence. And still, you can be lost forever because you have never personally invited Jesus to wash you of your sins. Most of you have heard of the name Jesse James. Jesse James was a notorious criminal, but here's maybe what you don't know about Jesse James. One day, he killed a person in a train robbery, and on that very day, right afterwards, he was baptized into his local church. Maybe you're thinking, well, praise God, he just felt guilty and he was saved. 
Well, unfortunately, a few days after that, on another day, in a bank robbery, he killed two people. And on the same day, he sang a solo in the church choir. So he was a singer, maybe a great voice. And he used to always say, I love Sundays and I love going to church. But here's the problem. He was a hypocrite just like Judas. And let me just lay this before you and please write this down. If you take notes, write this down. It doesn't help to have your feet washed if you've never had a bath to begin with. It doesn't help to have your feet washed if you've never had a bath to begin with. Which begs the question, where are you at in the process? Have you been washed clean in salvation by Jesus? Have you confessed your sin before him and received the forgiveness that only he can give as the Savior of the world? Are you, this very moment, walking in fellowship with Jesus? Are your feet clean? If not, oh, that this would be a moment of confession before God, that he is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you. Which leads us to the last picture. And this is a picture of our identification. And I'm going to have to move fast here, but our connection to Christ is predicated upon our walking the way that Jesus himself walked. Jesus told his disciples in verses 13 to 15, you see on the screen, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now we know washing feet was not the job of the Messiah. It was the job of a servant. And the disciples knew that. They knew that without a doubt. This is sort of like the President of the United States cleaning their own toilet. Or the King or Queen of England changing their own bed sheets. Or Elvis tuning his own guitar. No, you have people to do that for you. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus did this for them. He did this for them. And don't miss this. And here's going to be a, a great little picture here I want you to get. All of this in verse 3 is predicated upon Jesus knowing that he's about to go back to the Father. Meaning he knows why he came. He knows where he's from. He knows his identity. So he washes their feet. And here's the principle. If you know who you are, if you know who you are, you don't have to prove who you are to anyone else. If you know who you are, you don't have to prove who you are to anyone else, meaning your identity equals your security. Your identity equals your security. You're not, you're, not having, you're not having to prove anything to anyone because you know who you are. Do you know who you are? In this moment, Jesus could have easily been consumed by himself, but he's not. He's washing feet. We're called to do the same. And let me just say this. There have been so many different thoughts over the years. Of, well, is this a Christian ordinance? Are we as Christians called to do this? And some churches put this right along with baptism and, and the Lord's Supper. And here's the deal. In the New Testament, foot washing after this is only mentioned one time. And it's about hospitality. So the, the picture that we see throughout church history is that the command to wash one another's feet basically means that we should do whatever it takes to serve one another, no matter how menial the task. Meaning, in every situation, we are to be a community of foot washers who live our lives with this question on our lips. How may I serve Jesus by serving you? How may I serve Jesus by serving you? 
And here's the deal. It doesn't have to be complicated to love one another. It doesn't have to be complicated to serve one another. We give ourselves to the needs that God places before us and open our eyes to. And let me, let me show you, let me end with verses, the verse Mark 10, 45. It's our verse for the week, but let me just put it on the screen. Mark 10, 45. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve us. And ask me what he's doing now. No, really, ask me. Yeah. He's still serving us. He's still serving us. Meaning, don't miss every opportunity that we have to serve him will always be accompanied by his presence, his power, his provision, his promises as he serves us. How are you presently serving the Lord? I want you to think about how. Like, what are you doing in service to the Lord? But let me also ask you this. In what attitude are you presently serving the Lord? Are you serving him gladly? Or are you serving the Lord, as, as by, the Bible says, begrudgingly? Are you serving the Lord? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says when we get to a place that we begin to serve the Lord begrudgingly, it means that we have stopped loving Jesus. Because Jesus says this, if you love him, his commands aren't a burden. They're not a, they're not a burden to those who love him and understand his love for us. Let me end this way today. If Jesus washed feet, then you can greet worshipers and hand out bulletins. If Jesus washed feet, then you can work in the nursery helping our babies. You can work in the preschool. You can work alongside our kids pointing them to Jesus. You can work with Pastor Jordan and Ms. Blair with our teenagers. If Jesus did that, then we can do and serve him in many different ways. If Jesus washed feet, you can write letters and you can make phone calls. If Jesus washed feet, you can help with the needs of others in a thousand different ways in the church and in the life. Listen, we don't just serve the Lord in the church. Jesus washed Judas's feet too. And we can serve those who don't know. If Jesus washed feet, we can share the good news wherever we go. If Jesus washed feet, we can serve gladly doing everything we do for his glory. Oh, that we would give ourselves to what Christ gave himself to. And the beauty is, once again, Christ has not asked us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. Oh, that we would serve. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the band to come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray in this moment. Father, we just, in this moment, come to you. And Lord, I pray for any today who don't know you. Maybe today's a day, Lord, where, they, where someone has had their eyes open to their own sin, their need for washing, their need to be cleansed from their sin. I pray today would be a day of repentance. Today would be a day of calling upon Jesus, you as Savior and Lord, turning from sin, turning from self, turning to you, Jesus, and rece receiving the salvation that only you can give. I pray also, Lord, that this would be a day of turning back to fellowship with you, Father, through confession, receiving the forgiveness, the cleansing that you offer. I pray this is a day, Lord, that our eyes are open to the way that we serve you, how we're serving, if we're serving. And are we serving you gladly? Are we serving you, Lord, with 
joy in our hearts that we don't have to serve you, we get to serve you. We'll just finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.